0: And children, we're going to read all of Psalm 115. So let's hear the Spirit as he speaks to his church. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes, but do not see, they have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell, they have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord, he is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he's given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, God, our souls cling to the dust, so give us life according to your word. Help us to understand the ways of your precepts. Make us meditate on your wondrous works. And when our souls melt for sorrow, we pray you would strengthen us according to your word. We cling to that life-giving word now and pray for the power of your spirit uh, to come and bless. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may have heard the uh, famous one-liner from Bill Shankly, former Liverpool manager, uh, who said this, Some people believe football is a matter of life and death but it isn't. It's much more important than that. Some people believe football's a matter of life and death, but it isn't. It's much more important than that. What I want to do this morning is try and persuade you that Bill Shankly, little as he probably knew it, is exactly right. He is exactly right. Uh, The actual quote is from an interview. Uh, He was uh, on a panel show back in the, uh, I think it was late 70s, uh, and and a lady called Shelley Road was interviewing her, uh, him, sorry. And it, slightly weirdly, this football manager was sat next to the former Prime Minister, uh, Harold Wilson. Okay, so imagine that, you know, Jurgen Klopp, Tony Blair and Graham Norton or something. It's an odd bunch of people to be talking. And and the host says this, what have you got out of football all these years? And Bill Shankly said, everything I've got, I owe to football. You only get out of the game what you put in, Shelley. So I put all in, my heart and all my soul, to the extent that my family suffered Hey, Roddy, do you regret that at all? Shankley, I regret it very much. Somebody said football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. And my family suffered, they've been neglected. And this is where Wilson, Harold Wilson, the, the Prime Minister, chips in. It's a religion too, isn't it? Shankley, I think so, yes. Wilson, a way of life? Shankley, that's a good expression, Sir Harold. It's a way of life. And it's so serious, it's unbelievable football at least for Bill Shankly was a matter of life and death even more important than that a a way of life and as Wilson rightly observed it was a religion to him what Harold Wilson saw is what very few people I think see nowadays realise nowadays which is that the world isn't divided into religious people and non-religious people rather everybody is religious Everybody this morning in this room is religious. Everybody who stayed at home is religious. Everybody who drew breath this morning is religious. We just need to understand religion rightly. Religion isn't just about believing in a God. Even some forms of Buddhism don't believe in God, and no one would say they're not uh, a religion. Uh, Rather, your religion is is your way of life, your answer to the big questions, where, where have we come from? What, what's the purpose of life? It's what you give, to use shankley 's words, interesting, weren't they? Did you hear them? I put in all my heart and all my soul. It's almost like Jesus' call, isn't it? Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And, and Shankley, whether he realizes it or not, is saying, yeah, I, I give all my heart, all my soul to football. Now, you may need to substitute football for something else. Okay, I realise for many of you here this morning, certainly for me, football is not the thing that you've given your life to. But there will be something. Even as Christians, we know the right answer, yes, we shouldn't live for other things, we shouldn't live for God. We know that, we know that. But our hearts are like well, they're like, a, they're like little castles. Children, imagine your heart is a castle. And Jesus has conquered the castle. Okay, so he's in the throne room. But there are parts of the castle, rooms in the castle, that he's not yet managed to conquer. When some friends of ours were buying a house back in Derby, they were being shown around. And they got to one room, and the people said, you can't go in there. And they said, well, you know, we're not going to buy the house without looking in the room. So they showed them the room, but they, weren't they opened the door. And in this room was a little idol, a little carved gold statue. And it was the family shrine. Everything else in the house was just normal, like any other house. But this one room was a little shrine. Our hearts are like that. We, we, even as Christians, we've given our lives to Jesus. We're trying to follow him as king, but there are areas of idolatry that still remain, unconquered areas of our hearts. Probably not football, but it'll be something. I remember one person saying to me the way to work out what sort of idols are still lingering are, 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 is by asking yourself what do you measure? What do you measure? So, if you're constantly measuring your, your weight, it, it may well be that your sort of body image is what uh, drives you. If you're addicted to seeing how many likes you've got on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever else uh, is cool nowadays, <laughs> then maybe people's opinion of you is what drives you. You measure your bank balance, your grades, well, you can fill in for yourself. All of us have someone competing to rule our hearts uh, alongside Jesus. What's fascinating is that some of the research, uh, some people have done some research uh, on, the, on the brain, and again, I'm not going to even try and explain the, the depth of the science, but, uh, but at a surface level, what, what they showed was this. When you monitor people's brains, the same segments of your brain light up in people who go to church to worship God and people who, who, who are waiting outside the Apple store to get the, the latest kind of iPhone or iPad or whatever it is. The same sort of areas spark. It's almost like our bodies are telling us we are built religious. And what this psalm is telling us, Psalm 115 is telling us, is that what we choose to worship will either bring life or death. What you give your life to is going to give, bring life or day, death. Christian, you want to be devoted, I'm sure, to God you want to be purer in your worship Uh, this psalm is showing us how to topple more of those idols in our heart okay how to make sure Christ conquers all the rooms in the palace and it's hard isn't it look at uh, verse two Uh, why is it hard to live wholeheartedly for God well look at the challenge from the nations children it's like the people who aren't following Jesus say look where is your God then where is your God In the context of these psalms, that these psalms celebrate the exodus, the rescue. So we looked at the, the 13 and 14, and they, they, they tell us that, well, they told the story of the exodus, God rescuing his people out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land. And during that exodus, there was all sorts of spectacular signs. Remember the plagues? Children, I think you've learned some of those. The gnats come, and the frogs, and the river Nile turns to blood. Uh, there's the waters, we looked at this last time, the waters of the Jordan and of the Red Sea being pulled apart, pretty spectacular, a fiery, cloudy pillar, and they get into the land and imagine a few years down the line and actually they don't see any miracles anymore. And so the nations come and say, well, where is your God? We can't see him. We, we are the religious. we've got a statue, we've got a God we can see. Here's Dagon, he's Baal. Okay, we've actually got a carved statue, but you, you haven't got anything. We can't see him. But, but also there's a second meaning to the question, which is, where's he gone? Like, why is he not doing anything anymore? For a lot of their time, the people of God in the Old Testament were weak. They weren't dominant. They weren't thriving. And so you can see why the other nations would come and say, what are you bothering following your God for? There's no evidence he's around anymore. It's just a fairy tale from your ancestors. Fine, you could believe that sort of 2,000 years ago, but not today. It's all very modern. When Yuri Gagarin... Yuri Gagarin was the first man into space. He was the first man ever to get up into space. And when he got into space, he was rushing. He looked uh, out the the window, they call them windows, um, and and said, well, when he came back to work, he said, I looked out of the window, I went into the heavens, and I can tell you, God is not there. Perhaps you feel pressure from people, family, friends. Why are you being so wholehearted? It just doesn't make sense. It's okay to be a Christian on the weekend. It's fine if you want to go to church. It's nice that you have a little social set but stop letting it dominate your life. Be reasonable. And the answer of the people, verse 3, our God is in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Now, that is the cry of faith. He is in the heavens. He's not just a little idol down here. He's the God of all creation and he does what he wants. He hasn't said he will constantly bless us. He does what he pleases. When C.S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia stories, heard Gagarin's line about, I've been to heaven and haven't seen God. He said, that's like Hamlet going into the attic of his castle and saying, I can't see Shakespeare. You don't expect to see God. God is not part of creation. He's infinitely greater than us. And so the rest of this psalm, it is a way to try and persuade the people of God to stick with the real God, even though they can't see him. And even though often it seems like he's not at work in our lives. And it, it does it in two ways. In a minute, it'll talk about how great God is, but it starts by showing well, how useless the other gods are. So in verses four to eight, uh, the psalm shows us that all other gods bring death. They look like they're alive. Do you see the descriptions? These idols, they're made of silver and gold, the work of human hands, and they look real. They've got mouths, they've got ears, they've got eyes, they've got noses, feet, hands they look like they're going to bring life. They look like they are alive. And in many ways, they seem closer than the living God. It's often the way with with idols, isn't it? When you think, well, who who am I liable to turn to, for example, for comfort instead of God? You can see why people think, well, actually, a, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, they're more tangible, they're closer, they're more real. The things that are, claiming your heart, trying to pull you away from Jesus, the rooms of your heart that are not yet conquered, are liable to be filled with things that you can actually see and touch. Your bank balance, your money is real, your career is real, and whereas it can seem that God is somehow unreal and distant. These idols look like they're alive, look far more solid, trustworthy, real than God. They bring more immediate pleasure, more immediate comfort But they're dead. They have mouths, first five, but they can't speak. Eyes, but they can't see. Children, if you make a statue out of gold, or if you make a little plasticine statue, can it really see? Can it really hear? No, of course not. Even if you make it out of gold and silver, it can't really do anything for you. It can't really help. And the crucial verse is verse eight. Those who make them... Become like them. So do all who trust in them. See the principle? We become what we worship. We become like what we worship. Whatever has control of your heart, you will become like that thing, that person, whatever it may be. As a... Uh, a writer called uh, G.K. Beale. Beale says this. Okay, it's a it's, alliteration, it's so stick with me. What we revere, we resemble. Either for ruin or restoration. Check out all those R's. <laughs> what we revere, what we worship, we resemble. Either for ruin, it will destroy us, kill us, or for restoration. That is a beautiful summary of this psalm. If you just go to sleep now, okay, just remember that and don't go to sleep. What we revere, we resemble for ruin or restoration. These idols are ultimately dead, and so they will bring death to us. But that's true in an ultimate sense. If you live for something other than God, ultimately, it's going to lead to death. We we even talk about that, don't we? We say, oh, he worked himself to death. The anxiety killed him. He worried himself to death. People every year, sadly, Uh, Come the the summer term, you get stories of of students committing suicide just so under pressure, feeling the pressure to get the right grades, that it just overwhelms them. Uh, There was a a fascinating um, research project, Uh, it was back in the 70s and 80s, um, by a guy called uh, Robert Goldman. He was was a doctor, uh, and he did some research in America, and he, 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 he basically questioned top athletes. Okay, so the the best football, American football players, um, sort of Olympic athletes, the the real elite. Uh, And the question was this. If you could take a pill that would guarantee you won every event you entered for the next five years and would guarantee you never got caught, would you take it? Okay, so you're not going to get caught. It's guaranteed success. Would you take it? But there's a catch After the five years, this pill will mean that you certainly die. Okay, so you get the dilemma? Guaranteed success for five years, no one will catch you, but then you'll die. Fascinatingly, over half the athletes said, yeah. Amazing, yeah. I I, I so want those five years of success that even if it costs me my life, I'll do it. But it's madness, isn't it? Idols don't deliver life. When it comes to the last day, which will come to all of us—good winning many years from now—but it will come to all of us. Your bank balance is not going to get you through. The old story about the man arriving at the gates of heaven. it's Not a true story, children. <laughs> man arriving at the gates of heaven with suitcases full of gold. And Peter says to him, "Why have you bought paving stones?" It's like What's that going to do? Like you can't barter your way into heaven. It doesn't matter how great your career was. Idols cannot carry you through death. But, but actually, they, they bring not just ultimate death, they bring kind of progressive death. And some of the more astute um, uh, people out there who, who, who wouldn't call themselves Christians at all have seen this. A guy called David Foster Wallace, he's an American author um, and now died sadly but he said this he was giving one of those graduation speeches you know whatever they call them in america you know where they i can't remember the name get all the graduating students together and give them the big speech and he said this in the day-to-day trenches of adult life there is actually no such thing as atheism it's not christian but there's no such thing as atheism there's no such thing as not worshiping everybody worships the only choice we get is what to worship And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you you worship money and things, if they're where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You'll feel weak and afraid, and you'll never. Sorry, and you'll need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart, you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. It's amazingly astute. There's an oft quoted uh, little passage now. There is a progressive death. Living for these idols does not make people happy. Does not bring fruitfulness. Bill Shankly, the football manager, his family suffered. His family died a thousand deaths on the road to Shankley's glory. So let me ask you, do you know what you're living for? Honestly, functionally. Okay, I know the right answer, Jesus, but functionally, what drives you? What are you measuring? And it is the usual things, isn't it? Like the things that the rooms of your heart unconquered are unlikely to be filled with kind of evil, wicked gods. I am pretty sure no one in the room is disappearing on Saturdays to kind of sacrifice goats at some sort of coven or something like that. What will it be? It'll be all the good things, the gifts that God has given us, our families, our careers, our intellects, our bodies, our love life. What takes your time? What takes your money? Ask yourself honestly and realise that if if these things are trumping Jesus, if they are above Jesus, then they're slowly killing you. Because ultimately, it's what sin is, isn't it, living for someone other than God? Another writer said this: anything you can't bring into, anything you're not bringing into the temple of God, is going to become an idol. It's a good line: anything you're not bringing into the temple of God is going to become an idol. Anything you're not bringing to, to Jesus, saying thank you for this, for this gift. I know it's something you've given, not something I've earned. It is yours. I want to, to use it as you command. Well, it's going to become an idol. Uh, they bring death. You may have seen the news report this week. Uh, as Italy goes into lockdown, one of the biggest pornographic sites in the world has given free access to everybody in Italy. Okay, what a way to respond. <laughs> As real death looms for many people, the idols pounce and suck more and more people in. They look like they're giving, but really they're sucking life, spiritual life, slowly away. Our youngest, I shouldn't name the children, today. What One of our children. <laughs> That's our youngest one. Um, a few weeks ago, he's about 15 months now, um, my wife found him playing in the downstairs loo. Okay, putting his hands in the loo, disgusting. So obviously pulled him out, cleaned him up. Uh, and he wanted to go straight back. So we shut the door and locked it from the outside. And he was on the outside of that door, hammering on it, furious. Let me get back and play in that toilet. Okay, that, that's how foolish we are with idols. Okay, let, let, they will not do us good. Ultimately, they will bring death. It is madness to give your life to them. So if these other gods give death, what what does God bring? Well, he brings blessing and life. This is verses 9 through 15. God brings blessing and life. In verse 9 through 11, it's protection that God offers. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. House of Aaron, this time the priests. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord. That might be Israelites and anyone else who's joined them. Trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Only God ultimately is is life to us. Only God can protect you and bring you through the waters of death to eternal life. Uh, He's also the source of blessing, verses 12 and 13. Four times we're told God will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless all those who fear the Lord, whether you're a a nobody or a great man or woman. He's the one who brings happiness, joy, blessing, abundance. Uh, Incidentally, that also gives the clues to help us spot our idols idols gods are the things that give us protection and blessing okay, where do you go in life when you feel scared what makes you feel safe well, that's likely to give you a clue to your idols what what, what makes you happy i'll be happy if dot or dot well that's going to bless me that's likely to give you an insight into what your idols may be but ultimately only god can truly bless and truly protect. In verses 14 and 15, I think it's picture language on the whole. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, He made heaven and earth. It's just fruitfulness. God is a God of life and blessing, and He pours it out on all those who come to Him. He doesn't charge, there's no cost. The instruction is simply trust Him three times 9, 10, 11. Trust in the Lord. And so the psalm ends in verses sixteen to eighteen with a call to worship Him. Now, they're hard verses actually, uh, and there's lots of debate as to what exactly they mean. The heavens, verse sixteen, are the Lord's heavens, but the earth He's given to the children of man. It doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign over the earth, but I, I think it's just saying that there are kind of there are areas where God and man lives. Our our home is is the earth. God dwells in heaven; we live on the earth verse 17, when we die, we're no longer on the earth to praise him. Verse 17 isn't denying that heaven and hell exist. It's speaking, if you like, as we see things. We can only praise God as we live. And so the resolve is, in verse 18, we will bless the Lord. We will praise him from this time forth and evermore. I think the idea here is this. Now is the time when you get to worship God in the battle zone. Now is the time when you get to worship God with people saying, why are you doing that? That's mad. So you feel like now is the time you can really give God honour and praise. When you die and go to heaven, you'll continue to worship him, of course. But there'll no longer be a battle. It'll be easy. And that's going to be great. But, but now is the chance, if you like, for, for their heroism, for standing out and saying, yeah, I am going to live for you, Lord, even though everyone else says, where is your God? Jesus died 2,000 years ago. And he's buried somewhere in the Middle East. Where's all these miracles that we read about in the Bible? You are mad to live for God. And the person of faith says, no, I cannot see him, but he is my help and my shield. I cannot see him, but he is the place where I will find blessing. They might have noticed I, I, I began with verse 2 and not verse 1. But look back to verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, give glory. The call of verse 1, give glory to God, echoes the end of the psalm, worship God. But it's that second half of the verse that's interesting. Verse 1 seems to be saying this psalm is going to be about making sure God gets the glory, not ourselves. But then for the rest of the psalm, it's about idols versus God. So, you'd think verse 1 ought to read something like, Not to the idols, O Lord, not to the idols, but to your name give glory. See, everything else in the psalm is about these idols. And yet, verse 1 strangely says, Not to us. What's going on? See, do you see the, see the problem? Or see the seeming problem? Attention? Why is verse 1 about making sure we don't get glory, but actually the rest of the psalm is about idols? Well, I think it's this for this reason idolatry ultimately is self-worship really if you're living for let's say being beautiful if that is what drives you you're not living for this thing out there called beauty you're living so that people will say you are beautiful so that you get the glory if you're living for your career if that's what dominates your mind if that's what you're not actually seeking the good of your career as if that's something sort of objective you're worshiping though no. you're seeking your career so that you will be built up and thought good of idolatry ultimately is about ourselves really the choice is simple you live your life seeking your own glory in your beauty your intellect your wealth your family whatever it might be or you live your life seeking god's glory one is idolatry and one is true religion so who are you living your life for it's a very easy question whose glory are you seeking It's so so easy to be glory thieves, isn't it? We read the Ten Commandments earlier. Eighth commandment do not steal. We steal glory all the time. It's easy in ministry. You want to lead a good Bible study, do a good sermon, run a good church, because we want people to think well of us as ministers. In your own career, in your own homes. In community group, I want to be thought wise. It's all about our glory. That's just idolatry again, a religious form of idolatry. Give glory to God and not to us. Because Shanky was right, it's a matter of life and death. And our only hope is ignoring these idols and turning to a God who has a mouth and can speak, has eyes and can see, ears and can hear, hands and can heal feet and does walk among us we even more than the Israelites have seen a God who is among us who is real the son of God came down in order to be our shield and provide our blessing as he hung on the cross and was punished for our sin he was shielding us the Bible says both that Jesus died in our place, so he died whilst we were nothing to do it, but it also says he was our representative, that we died with him. It's as if we hung on the cross in him. Jordan, if you've seen those Russian dolls, you, you hide inside, the small ones inside, the, the larger ones, don't you? And it's like we were hidden in him. He was shielding us from the wrath of God, from our sin, from death. In order that, in the words of Ephesians, in Jesus we might receive every spiritual blessing. He wants to give freely, but Jesus is the only place you'll find protection and blessing. Uh, and so as we close, just, just turn on me to, to the book of 2 Corinthians. That's on, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter three, it's on page 965. what you revere, you resemble for ruin or restoration. We become what we worship. Okay, if you want to have life, blessing, protection, worship the God who can bring life, blessing, protection. What we revere, we resemble. 2 Corinthians 3, and look at the last verse, verse 18. This is a description of what, what Christians are, are meant to be doing. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, that's Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As you, as you worship Jesus, beholding the glory of Jesus, you get transformed into his image. Worship is the, the tool that God uses to transform you, to change you, either into idolatry or into Jesus' image. Certainly worship when we gather, but just all of your life as well. At worship in the Bible is not just about the Sunday activity, central though that is. It's about all of our lives, our service to him. As you gaze at him, hear about him, pray to him, sing to him, thank him, praise him, bless him, you become more like him. And in that way lies life. Football's a matter of life and death. In fact, it's more important than that. Your career is a matter of life and death. Your family is a matter of life and death. Your bank balance, your weight, your image, your beauty, they're matters of life and death. But thank the Lord he has provided, he has come down, walked among us and provided eternal life, eternal protection and eternal blessing in Christ. Behold him and you'll be slowly transformed into his image until finally he comes and takes you safely home. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we praise you that you didn't leave us in idolatry. When we exchanged the truth that you put on all humankind's hearts for a lie, when we began to worship created things rather than the creator, we praise you that you didn't, uh, as you so justly could have done, simply punish. But rather in love, Uh, you sent your son. Lord Jesus, you took on flesh. Uh, took on our hands, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our throats, our flesh, in order that you might live our lives and die our death. And so we pray that you rip our hearts away from these things that seem to promise so much. The people, the things in our life that seem to hold blessing, that seem so near and real, and rip them away and instead might, by the power of your spirit, might we delight in Jesus, might we enjoy worshipping him and would you transform all of us evermore into his image until final blessing comes uh, in his coming. Give us your spirit, therefore, we pray, to transform our hearts. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.